Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. We're happy to have you tonight, and we have a special treat for you. Chief Meteorologist Bill Wash from WCSC in Charleston, South Carolina, Emmy Award-winning Chief Meteorologist, who's also an author, a Lieutenant Colonel in the U.S. Air Force Reserve, and much more. We're looking forward to having Bill with us uh, tonight, and uh, Bill just celebrated his 34th year in broadcast meteorology, and we're just going to look back over those moments uh, for this next little bit, so we're uh, happy to have you. And towards the end of the show, we'll let Bill uh, give out some of his social media information. So if you're not following Bill on Twitter or Facebook, definitely uh, want to give him a follow, especially if you're in the Charleston area, if you uh, plan to visit. So Bill, welcome to the show. I know we've had you on before, normally talking about hurricanes or landfalling tropical systems, but uh, we wanted to get you on tonight just uh, when the weather's calm and well, when we're recording this, the weather's calm, and uh, yeah, for we'll we'll put that out there. Uh, but we just want to kind of get to know you. So our our, our first time question for uh, for a lot of our first time guests is, uh, how did you get uh, hooked into this crazy uh, career that we uh, that we all love to do here in the weather world? Great to be here, by the way. It's so cool to be with everybody, and uh, I definitely watch the uh, love the podcast. <clears throat> you know, it's funny. It's just kind of an accident, actually. Believe it or not, um, and uh, you know, I was really into aviation, into uh, you know, flying airplanes, and I got my uh, pilot's license when I was 16 years old. So um, I actually got my license to fly before I got my license to drive. So I, get, I had to get a ride to the airport to take my check ride. But anyway, it was, I was really thinking about going the aviation route uh, for a while. And um, my sister's boyfriend at the time was working in radio. And I really was fascinated by broadcasting. And, um, and he was about three years older than me, three or four years older. And she ended up marrying the guy. But uh, you know, th this was back in high school. And, um, and then he wanted to be a broadcaster and he went into television and I would hang around the radio stations with him when I was in, uh, in high school. And I was like, you know, this is cool. I like this. I like that the broadcast is cool, but I really am fascinated by flying and weather and uh, really aviation weather was really what I was interested in and uh, thunderstorms and snow. Of course, I grew up in the snow belt, you know, with the blizzard of 78 was the biggest thing uh, that hit us uh, when I was a kid. And I was like, by the way, I just dated, just dated myself there, but that's okay. Um, so this big giant blizzard comes along. We have 52 inches of snow. I'm fascinated by the weather. I'm saying, I got to get into this. I got to figure it out. Uh, so I ended up, uh, believe it or not, I ended up taking a bus. I lived in Rhode Island and I took a bus downtown Providence. I probably was a sophomore in high school, maybe or something. And I snuck up to the TV station, which was channel 10 WJAR. And uh, the, um, the station was way up on top of um, uh, the outlet. Uh, it was a, it was like a, it was kind of like a Macy's type store, right? So it was on the top floor. And back those days, there was no security. There was no, you know, I mean, it's just like the, the, the you know, the, the, the door opens in the elevator. I walk out. There was one woman there. And she said hello, and I just looked like I knew what I was doing. So I walked like right into the studio, and there was. You know, the guy I watched growing up on TV, John Giorgi, I'm like, oh, look, there's John Giorgi. Look at that. Look at that green wall. Pop. Well, what is that thing? Look at, wow, a satellite picture. Holy mackerel. One satellite picture. You know, it was, oh, look at those are the maps that they put the little stickies on. How about that? You know, it was, um, it was really fascinating. So, I mean, at that point, I was hooked. So um, I ended up, you know, knowing that I really like television, I really like weather. I wanted to put the two together. That's kind of how I ended up falling into this stuff. So you've definitely covered some big events in Charleston. Um, talk a little bit, of, we'll go into some specifics here later on, but talk about your time in Charleston and, uh, you know, what, what that's meant for you. I know 
you, you've been a, a figure in the uh, in the community. So what's it been like uh, forecasting in Charleston? Oh, it's been fantastic. I mean, Charleston is such a great place. You know, as I said, I was in Rhode Island and I ended up, I was looking for a full-time gig. Um, I wanted to get, well, I had a great gig. I did, uh, by the way, my dog is here. <laughs> if, if, you're, if you're wondering what, that's Ruby. And, uh, but um, so what happened was, you know, I was looking for a full, I wanted a, you know, Monday through Friday gig or something like that. Uh, I looked very, very young as I continue to to this day, uh, but um, except for the hair, see? Uh, but anyway, so um, I decided that I'd start looking. I wanted to go somewhere warmer. I really like tropical weather. I love hurricanes. So, and we, you know, at that time, even in the eighties, uh, there weren't that many big hurricane events. Uh, so I ended up, you know, throwing my tape out there and I got uh, a call by the station here in Charleston, uh, WCIV. Um, and they said, uh, hey, uh, we're interested in you coming down, um, maybe being our uh, chief meteorologist. Uh, once their meteorologist was leaving, she was going to have a baby um, and, they, and she was going to, you know, just leave the business. So I came down here, uh, they offered me the job and I saw, when I flew down for the interview, I actually, uh, they took me out to Wild Dunes for lunch and I saw a dolphin and I saw a palm tree. And I was saying, wow, those are the two, I mean, that's like, I really was kind of like in Florida, but I'm like, this is like Florida without the traffic, you know? So I'm, thought, I'm thinking, you know, let's go down there. So I got a chance to come down here uh, to work um, at Channel 4 and I did for uh, that was in 86 and then of course in 1989 Hurricane Hugo comes along well you know the worst strike on the US in years and decades uh, that came up and really slammed right into us perpendicular wise right up the coast right into the coast and um, we had six feet of water in the building uh, we were blown off the air I mean we had you know, I was out of my house for three months I had to live with my soon-to-be in-laws for three or four months uh, that was that was worse than the hurricane. But anyway, uh, that was um, she could probably hear me. But uh, anyway, it was uh, he recycled paper towels for her father. Just, oh, she can hear me. I can't. All right. So anyway, but so you know, so that was that was an event that that was just uh, you know that was a that was a career making event because you know here I was young young guy you know doing my first weather my, really my second weather job. Uh, Technically third, because I did part-time on cable way back. But anyway, so, you know, it was a big deal. And Rob Fowler, my pal Rob, you know Rob, and he comes on the show. And um, he and I both worked that storm from different perspectives, different stations. But we were down here within about maybe a year of each other. I think I came in 86, he came in 87. But, you know, the two of us really kind of, that was our biggest, you know, um, our biggest weather event uh, that, all of a sudden, here we are in our 20s doing that big, big storm, and they hadn't had one here in years, uh, and it was a devastating storm. So, you know, and then and in 1993, um, Channel 5, you know, was kind of like the big gun in town, and they were looked that, you know, their, their main weatherman was Charlie Hall. He was like an institution. He was an amazing man. Uh, he signed the station on. I mean, he was literally the guy who was the first guy on the television station to sign it on, and um, they called me up and said, hey, are you interested in coming over to work with Charlie? And I'm like, you want me to work with Charlie all? I mean, you want me to, you know, and they, they did. And they said, we'd love you to work together and build a weather department. And, um, you know, they had Charlie and they had Mike and, but they didn't, they had one computer and it was just an old uh, live line three, I think it was. Um, and they wanted to build a storm center. They wanted to build a weather brand. Uh, so uh, that was when I went over to channel five. So anyway, that's kind of how I ended up in Charleston. I'd like to reminisce about Hugo a little bit since it was uh, one of the big storms of my youth. I, I grew up in Rock Hill 
and uh, it was still a big deal up in York County. So uh, I was wondering if uh, Hugo was actually the biggest event for you during your career, even though it was in the early part of your career, and maybe you could tell us a little bit about the lead up and uh, the aftermath of Hugo. I, I, you know, I think it was actually, and by the way, Rock Hill, you guys got, you got whacked by that storm. It was yes, still, we did. Yeah, that was still, a, it blew all those glass windows out of the buildings up there in Charlotte. Rock Hill was rocked by that storm. I mean, it wasn't extra tropical until it got to New York State. Um, so, you know, I mean, um, I think in my, my weather career, as far as like biggest storms that I've, you know, forecast and lived through, that's got to be at the top of the list, I think. I mean, we've had a lot of, you know, close calls since. Uh, you know, we have a lot of, I call them the drive-bys, you know, they come up the coast and then head up toward, you know, the North Carolina, you know, coast and the Outer Banks, uh, you know, and, and uh, so, you know, we've had a lot of those types of storms, uh, but uh, Hugo certainly was the, the largest that really impacted us here, uh, especially as a Cat 4, 135 mile an hour storm. Um, we had a 22 foot storm surge in McClellanville uh, and they had people be, being put up in the rafters at that Lincoln High School because it wasn't really, uh, they didn't think the water could ever get that deep in a high school like that. Uh, it was, um, so yeah, it was a precedent setting one for me, uh, but also for the station, um, uh, all the all three stations, it really was, and for Charleston itself. Uh, the, the city rem remembers it every year, uh, 31 years ago now, hard to believe, uh, but there was, you know, I think that and a couple of the snow events, actually, if you think about it, we had a couple of years ago, we had a snow event where we had, and I know you, some of you guys are going to laugh at me, we had six or seven inches of snow. Well, <laughs> and, that's a uh, big deal for Charleston. It is a big deal for Charleston, you know, we were, uh, and it was so cold, it was such a cold air event. There was so, the cold air was, was, was really in, in place for about three or four days after that. So it didn't melt off very much, it melted off a little bit during the day, but it was thick enough that it refroze at night. So it was, um, it was a real mess. Uh, so some of these snow events were amazing. Uh, certainly the hurricanes were amazing. Um, we've had a couple of tornado outbreaks. We don't have them, uh, you know, obviously as much as you would back inland. Um, but, um, you know, we had a couple of, we had one this year actually in April that was quite impressive. It was, in fact, I think it was the worst tornado outbreak we've had uh, since I've been down here. And uh, that brought uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of damage and that was, uh, a real strong dynamic system and we were we were just you know i felt like i was out west there for a few hours that night because it was uh, you know this they were just you know really it was perfect ingredients so um so those i mean i think hugo the the snow and you know the tornadoes uh always uh, an adventure here going back to hugo there's uh, one other thing i wanted to ask uh, even today do you still see reminders of uh, what happened when hugo blew through you know, you do, actually, which is kind of interesting. Um, I was on the Isle of Palms uh, not too long ago, just a couple of, about a week ago. Uh, I was out there, and there's still empty lots out there. Same thing on Sullivan's uh. Island. Uh, there's still places where things never came back. Um, it took about a year, I, uh, to tell you, to be honest with you. You know, when you think about... Um, you know, when you think about Florida and Michael and Mexico Beach and places like that, you know, you know we see these storms, um, and we see the impact, like we had Laura and we had, you know, everybody covering it. We had the storm chasers out there. I was watching Jim Cantori at three o'clock in the morning, you know, and then, you know, then the media, you know, everybody goes away. But living through Hugo, I mean, we had to live with that for, uh, you know, forever. And, and certainly a year after that, it was a year until things got sort of back to normal. We didn't have power for two weeks, but um, it'd be interesting to go back. I think that'd be kind of an interesting documentary or something. You just go back to some of these places and say, okay, how are you doing a year later? How are you doing two years later? In particular, places like the Bahamas, right, after Dorian. I mean, 
nobody really talks about it, but that, I mean, obviously those islands, you know, they were, there was an incredible disaster. And it'd be interesting to go back to Freeport and, and back to uh, Abaco and, and, and take a look at some of those places because see how they're doing now. So I think um, to answer your question, there are things still around that, that you can tell that were pre-Hugo or post-Hugo. Uh, but, uh, you know, but we filled in quite a bit in 31 years. I would echo your, your thoughts exactly because uh, even now, if you, if you go and walk around, you look at some of these oak trees and pine trees, you can still see where but most of these trees, they were, they were blown over to, they were popped in half, so to speak. So you can still see where the knottage is and where new limbs have grown over the years, but you can see where their disformation is and a lot of the trees still, even after all these years. So yeah. Yeah, you really can. And, and, um, and there's a lot of people that live here that were here then, uh, and they remember it. Uh, they remember surviving and getting through it and things like that and rebuilding their house, uh, you know, uh, or getting back to what was a house. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's one of those things that it's burned into your memory forever. Yeah, I recall, I don't remember the exact percentage, but I remember hearing that a sizable percentage of the trees, of all the trees, were knocked down or badly damaged and would soon die in the wake of Hugo. It was amazing. We were, the morning after, we went back to the television station, and, you know, the pine trees were snapped at about maybe 20 feet up, 30, 25 feet up. They were all snapped almost at a uniformly, uh, uh, you know, a, a uniform height, all in the same direction uh, in one way. And then you'd see them all in the other direction, the other way, uh, depending on where you were. And it was, uh, it was fascinating to look at the damage because it was just so widespread. But um, a lot of those trees were, I mean, the Francis Marion forest was completely devastated. And it's been a long time uh, and it's still being, you know, rebuilt. Uh, re, re, you know, a lot of those newer trees or some of those trees have, that have come back. Uh, it takes a while, obviously. Bill, how was uh, communicating the threats from Hugo, specifically the storm surge? You know, we've made a lot of progress in the past five to 10 years of trying to explain what storm surge is and the areas it impacts. What was it like explaining the water that could come with a storm like that back in the late 80s? So that, that was interesting because, you know, that was before slosh models. And that was before, um, you know, we had the LFM. <laughs> and so, you know, we, you know, we didn't have a lot of the great, um, you know, tools we have today. And at the time, remember, the Hurricane Center only went out three days. They didn't go out five days. And we didn't have, you know, the Euro. We didn't have all of these great products that push us out, you know, so many, you know, so many days in advance. So it was, it was really kind of using that technology of what we had. Uh, but, you know, letting people know about the storm surge was because it was kind of alien to these folks. They, they, they knew, you know, remember, they haven't had a hurricane strike since at least, I think it was David maybe that came by in seven, was it 79? Anyway, they haven't had a major hurricane strike really since Hazel and Gracie uh, back, uh, way back in the fifties. Uh, there was a, you know, they had some storms uh, that came on up, but it was the first real major strike that could bring a major storm surge. So communicating that was interesting and it was, um, it was, you know, you, you had to kind of explain to people what it was. Uh, and a lot of people didn't think that they could see 20 feet of water, you know, and, and I mean, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of people are saying, oh, they're overdoing it um, and stuff like that. So getting that message out there was, was rather interesting. So, so Bill, I want to ask you a little bit about uh, kind of bring your military background and career into um, your meteorology uh, broadcasting career. And specifically when, hurricanes like Hugo or, or other kind of big events like that have occurred. Is there part of your military background that helps you communicate that or, uh, or, or be 
you know, um, present and, and, and uh, structured in, in the way you uh, assist with letting people know the threats? Yeah, it, it does, Dan. I mean, you know, what it does is it gives you, you know, in the military, everything's about readiness, right? So when I was, you know, when, you, when you're working um, on a staff or you're working as, you know, whatever your job is in the military, everything is, especially in, in the reserve side of things, it's all about readiness. You know, um, are, you, are you trained up? Are you uh, proficient in the software? Are you proficient in the, in the forecasting? Um, is your staff ready for this? Uh, is master control ready for this? Do they know how to put the crawls on? Uh, do we know how to evacuate if we have to evacuate? Uh, there's, you know, in military, there's a lot of readiness. We have, we have to, you know, you have to do a lot of training. And I think that that kind of background also kind of floats over to what we were doing. And I still to this day um, have, you know, readiness checklist for like tornadoes or tornado warning or severe weather, you know, make sure, making sure our master control has, you know, you know, all of the, the, the things they need to make sure that they're ready to put us on TV at two o'clock in the morning if they have to. So, um, you know, a lot of that comes from the military. <laughs> Excuse me. That's that's Ruby. That's Ruby. That's Ruby. Uh, so a lot of a lot of things come from uh, the military background that go into into television um, that that help that help me um, you know pretty much you know you know get through these storms. But uh, I think it's a good background. And, and military is a whole different world. You know when you do when I when I was doing military um, on the weekend, you know I'd go away or even during the week I'd be like I, it's like literally changing hats. It's a whole different world the way things are done. You know, television is, TV is, you know, there's a bit of show business. Is you know, you know, we've got the science side of it, but there's show business, and it's it's a whole different world where military, it's it's totally different. So if you're briefing a commander, for example, on an upcoming storm, or or you're doing a, a battle group command uh, type of, uh, you know, you know, if you're doing a forecast for a battle group, uh, you know, you're talking about, you know, different types of weather. But you know, those people. Um, it's a different audience. So, yeah. So you use that training, I think, to, to help you uh, be ready. Readiness is the most important thing. Well, that, that readiness was obviously very important in 1989 uh, with Hugo, and, and it still is. Though we've, we've talked about before on the show, in the unfortunate event that South Carolina and the South Carolina coast and Charleston area were to ever face another storm like Hurricane Hugo, how prepared are we nowadays in the Charleston metro for a – major landfalling hurricane i think we're pretty well prepared we're, we're prepared and we're we're at a point where we know you know we know what to do uh we know how to get the messaging out there we're prepared better than ever when it comes to communication between social media uh, the television the ott over the top stuff uh, all of these uh all of the different platforms that we can broadcast to so getting that word out is going to be even better um as far as evacuation and stuff like that, that is drilled pretty much every year. Uh, we have uh, hurricane drills with the, with the state and with the Highway Patrol and the National Guard and stuff like that. So I think South Carolina is pretty well prepared. Uh, you know, there are some caveats. You know, we, we flood on a good thunderstorm on a high tide down there. So, you know, depending on, you know, the timing of the storm, uh, also the, you know, the, the trajectory of the storm versus the coast, uh, you know, how much flooding that we could have. But, you know, to get people to move, you know, we had, we had a big evacuation during Florence and, you know, that was a major, 
there was a, well, it was a cat one, actually, it was a major disruption, but um, it wasn't even a major hurricane as it came down the coast, but it was a rainmaker moving at two or three miles an hour, just flooding North Carolina and Northeast South Carolina. But yet governor, you know, had evacuation all the way down through, you know, Beaufort County down into near the, the, the uh, South Carolina, Georgia border. That you know, put a lot of people out saying, well, why am I evacuating? And that storm's up near Myrtle Beach and it's really flooding like Conway and not, not us. So, you know, and a lot of that, we, you know, we have to try to explain to people and say, you know, we don't have, we don't, we don't, we don't make the evacuation call. We, 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 we tell you what's going to happen weather-wise, what to expect. So um, in that reference, I think we can be ready uh, but there are going always going to be, and I will guarantee you guys, there will be people that stay on the beach, and they did, and they have stayed stayed through storms like you know Hugo or like Michael or like Laura and stuff, and they the, the may or may not even survive, but they did. I remember during uh, uh, um, you know when we had uh, uh, a couple of storms in Florida, you know down in uh, along the Keys, people staying, oh I'm staying through it, I'm staying through, it. and then they come back to them like you know afterwards like i'll never stay again never i'm out i'm gone you know talking about some of these climate change issues that we've had certainly the sea levels are coming up and you know what has your perspective been on how you know we've had to handle sunny day flooding um since you started here going into now you know that's funny that you say that because you know um when we do have these 6.7 6.8 tides on a beautiful sunny day uh you know and, and you try to tell people we have a flooded you know we have a coastal flood advisory until 11 o'clock tonight and they're like it's not even raining what are you talking about? And then all of a sudden, the pictures start showing up on Twitter uh, of, you know, people's, you know, driveways being flooded and stuff like that, the drainage in the city. So, um, yeah, and, you know, sometimes it's hard to explain to people that. And it's, you know, people want simple answers sometimes. And sometimes it's hard to give a simple answer. And, and you know, it's, it's, and there's not a lot of simple answers when it comes to weather. There's, it can be complex. Uh, but even tides, when you talk about tides and, uh, you know, talk about drainage and you talk about, um, you know, some of the, some of the, uh, the even the, the extreme low tides, you know, why boats are sitting up on, uh, you know, when you have these black, you know, blowout tides, boats are sitting up on the, uh, you know, on, on, on sand and they're like, did you say that was going to happen? Well, yeah, we did, but don't, you know, so it's, you know, it's just a matter of really schooling people. And sometimes it, it takes people by surprise a lot. Of times. It's difficult to communicate that sometimes too in the low country, because you have a bunch of visitors. Like I remember when I was there for the NWA meeting in 2013, there was a King Tide going on at the time and, and you could go down East Bay street and there was an area that was flooded. And, and uh, sometimes I think getting the word out to people who aren't, local to the area and, and know this kind of thing can happen every now and then uh, makes things even more challenging. Yeah, that that was a great meeting, by the way, Frank. We had a blast. Uh, that was a wonderful NWA meeting, and uh, we'd love to have another NWA. We had an AMS meeting here, too, um, before that, and it's a great city for that. Uh, there's our shameless plug right there. We'd love to see everybody come back, but uh, when we ever have conventions again. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it is, it, and, it's, and it's hard to explain that to people that they say, hey, look, this is, um, you know, this is a, not a rain event. This is not, you know, this, we're not seeing a you know, major storm along the coast. What, why are we getting flooding? And it's a beautiful blue sky day. So, it, you know, a lot of it's education. Um, and, and, you know, the, the TV folks will, will tell you all the time that, you know, they give us two and a half minutes to do the weather and say, oh, by the way, could you explain how this stuff works? You know, so it, it can be, 
you know, it's challenging. And I always, when I coach people and doing weather, I'm like, you know, you're taking such a complex thing and you're, you're making it simple, but you have to, you know, you have to cherry pick the most important things and get and, and let people, uh, let people know about them. What's good about today though, is that we have things like this podcast, things like social media, Facebook, um, and, and I'm sure you guys know, you know, when we have big storms and ask like Rob and everybody, you know, Ricky will tell you, I mean, we're not only doing television, we're doing Facebook and it's like, you'll do six, six shows and they'll say, by the way, can you do another Facebook live in a half hour? And it's like, wow, I just went through all this, but I have to go through all this again. But again, it's sometimes for a totally different audience. So, uh, you know, we're kind of schooling people along the way as well. Well, Bill, uh, you know, besides the whole weather TV gig, besides the military gig, you've also done some writing, right? I have. That's kind of like a hobby, more more fun than ever. Yeah, I did. I write I write some novels and uh, had um, one come out recently. Um, it was right before the COVID thing. So we were setting up these, these like we would do like Panera Breads from, we, we ended up going to different places to do some book uh, events just to promote the book and whatnot. And then boom, COVID hit. Uh, although we've been doing a lot, I've been doing some Zoom, um, uh, what do they call book, uh, book, book things, uh, book events, uh, like uh, a lot of book uh, clubs and things like that. But yeah, I wrote, um, I wrote a novel when I was flying a lot for the Air Force. Uh, really, I started thinking about this when I was in, I was Navy first. And when I went from the Navy to the Air Force, um, my job in the Air Force uh, had me flying quite a bit uh, in different places on C-17s. And uh, so I, I started thinking about, um, you know, these stories and stuff like that, 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 um, that I put together in a book and in a novel. We actually pitched it, my first book was pitched as a, um, it was more of a national security thriller. And uh, it was pitched as a TV show. And my agent was like, you know what, this would be a good book if they don't buy it as a TV show. And they didn't go for the, the TV show, but the other people came up and said, we'd like you to do the book on it. So, um, and so, yeah, so I've done a couple of books and uh, three, three novels and, um, that's, you know, it's fun. I mean, you know, I don't do downtime very well sometimes, so I've got to be doing something. Uh, so I guess I, I write sometimes. And, and it's it's really kind of enjoyable. I, the last one I did, which was Uncle Danny, um, was actually based on three live characters up in New England um, that were uh, really, um, they were the, the kind of the tip of the spear when it came to the uh, uh, the booze business and prohibition. Uh, they were probably the biggest movers of liquor in the Northeast in New York. And one of them was a great uncle of mine. So, uh, he, you know, so I got to uh, write a book about it. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Kind of on, on your weekend job has become air shows and aviation and flying recently. That's actually kind of how we met and talked about things and knew each other better was through kind of the aviation world. Talk a little bit about your time with the paratroopers and announcing for them and uh, doing all the stuff with the team. Yeah. I, 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 I love doing the air show stuff, uh, Ricky. And as you know, and, and, um, and, and you do too. And a lot of our folks do. Um, so yeah, when I was my last job with the, when, when I was doing, uh, I was with special operations command with the uh, SOCOM, the special operations command, para commandos. And uh, my job was uh, kind of a threefold job. I was a DZSO, drop zone safety officer. I was a weather officer and I was a public affairs officer. I kind of had three hats. So um, as part of that, I ended up doing um, a lot of, the, they know I was in television. So I did a lot of the narrations of the uh, jumps uh, either into stadiums, into um, air shows. We did a lot of football games and things like that. Uh, so, um, and so I, I, I did that for almost four years. I was, I was on the team, the Power Commandos team. Um, and it was a blast. So I got me into the air show side of things. I've always been fascinated with air shows, um, you know, just 
just for being a pilot, just for being, you know, part of aviation. Uh, so I started doing uh, some air show announcing. Um, and again, there's some big announcers on the, on, the, on the air show circuit. They're fabulous and great friends of mine. And I just kind of fill in when, you know, there's a show available, uh, you, know, I'll, you, know, you know, throw my hat in the ring if somebody needs uh, an announcer. Um, and I really like announcing air shows. It's fun. It's a lot of work, actually. <laughs> it's a lot. I mean, it's a long day. It's, you're in the, usually up in the sun and stuff like that. But, you, you know, it really gets you into the aviation side of things. And um, it's, it's, a, it's fun. So I really like doing air shows. I've been working with Airshow 360, uh, a team that does a lot of air show broadcasting. We're kind of trying to take that announcing thing and do like Airshow Live, uh, which is another um, uh, broadcast company that does air shows. So, you know, 360 is like that, is, is kind of like what we've been doing. So, um, yeah, I like, I really, it's fun. You know, it, it, it's an enjoyable, um, you know, side gig that, you know, I do every once in a while. It's a lot of fun. Talk about how the uh, aviation and weather kind of came together with the paracommandos and the jump team. You mentioned you're kind of the weather officer. What do you have to look for before you give the go or no go to jump out of an airplane? So you've got a, you've got a couple of things, ceilings, right? You've got to have at least 2000 feet. Um, you also have to have wind, uh, wind, the wind, at the surface has to be uh, within a component, a certain component, like for a stadium, 13 and a half miles per hour. Um, and then like uh, on an air show uh, outside at a, an air show, we could go up to 18 miles an hour. Uh, we had to make sure that uh, we were gonna be clear of clouds. Uh, so they wouldn't, you know, if we were doing a high jump, our high show, we wouldn't be coming through clouds uh, because you can't bust a cloud. Um, I'd be dealing with that. I'd be dealing with winds aloft a lot because of, you know, where the exit of the airplane is going to be and, you know, where they're going to be landing on the ground. A lot of like uh, doing Navy weather, you know, when you're doing strike weather, you know, weather for, um, you know, where a, a strike's going to happen. Uh, and that's interesting because you're actually, your, your um, airport's moving <laughs> on an aircraft carrier. So you've got to do, you know, your departure weather, your strike weather, your return weather. And the return weather may be completely different from where you left earlier that day, you know. So it's, it's kind of the same the paracommandos you know the the weather um may change from the early show like if you're doing two jumps in that air show the morning show versus the afternoon show so you know it's a constant look and change and tweaking of that and then you also have to be able to call it off i mean the dzso has the go no go so the, you get a lot of responsibility you know you you know you have to if you have to scrub it um if you have to cancel it you have, sometimes you have to do that as they're standing in the door of the airplane so that can be kind of colorful especially when you have uh, the commander is a, you know, a, a Green Beret lieutenant colonel who is, you know, very, very, you know, you know, a lot of these guys, are, they're all special operators. They're amazing people. Um, and they, they live in a, a kind of a different world than, than we do sometimes, you know, because, uh, you know, it takes, it takes a special person to be a special operator. And they are incredible. But, uh, you know, and, and to tell them that, oh, no, you can't jump because it's 14 miles an hour, not 13.5, you know, it's just going to be, you know, you'll be buying the drinks at the bar that night. So um, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty fascinating. And then I got to jump with the team as well, you know, as a tandem, I, would, I you know, jumping uh, with, with the team, it's pretty fascinating because you end up, you know, you end up, um, and, and if you've never done this, it's pretty, and you should try it. Um, it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, and I get to, you know, jump with some friends of mine. I got Cantori to jump with us. Um, in fact, we're supposed to meet up next at the end of uh, October um, for a uh, skydive um, with him and, and some other folks uh, down in Zephyr, Zephyr Hills. So, um, you know, it, it is, uh, it's, it's, it's fast, it's fun, but you just have to be able to make that call sometimes where, you know, 
it's a scrub. So that's the toughest part is saying no to a bunch of special operators that don't usually get, you know, the weather doesn't bother them for anything they do, but because of the legalities of what we do as a performance team, uh, you had to sometimes say no. So it was pretty fascinating. If South Carolina were to be defined by one food, only one food, what would it be? Shrimp and grits. Shrimp and grits. Oh, I like that. I agree. You think so, Frank? Frank? Absolutely. Frank? I love me yeah. some shrimp and grits. Shrimp What's your grits, favorite yeah. shrimp and grits down there in the low country? Oh, my goodness. Uh, you know, um, there's a, Fleet Landing is very good. Um, actually, Pugin's Porch, probably some of the best. And they have the best biscuits in the world. They're about the size yes, they of do. a Volkswagen. Best sheet crab soup, too. Yeah. Oh, the sheet crab's incredible. And those biscuits are as big as a Volkswagen. They're fabulous. Bill, we've certainly appreciated your time tonight and uh, just the great stories. And, um I, I can speak for all of us. We appreciate you always be willing to join us when, when um, storms are about to affect the Carolinas. And we always appreciate that. If our followers uh, who uh, are not in Charleston, but travel to Charleston or, or maybe they do live in Charleston and don't follow you yet, how can they find you on social media? So yeah, anytime, my, my pleasure. Whenever storm's coming, feel free to reach out. Uh, all of us down here are glad to jump on. We love the uh, podcast. Um, Rob, myself, uh, everybody, really, and Dave, Dave Williams. Uh, so the uh, the social media, it's uh, just Bill Walsh uh, TV for uh, for um, social media on the uh, Twitter and Instagram side, and it's Bill Walsh Live Five News on Facebook. Bill, we certainly appreciate your time, and thank you guys for watching and listening to the Carolina Weather Group. We'll catch you next time here on the podcast and the live streaming show.